Our scripture lesson tonight, we go all the way back to the Old Testament uh, in the 12th chapter, just 12 chapters in, and we find a story there that changes the entire world. Let's share in God's good word together. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation and bless you. I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. The open door. I want to talk to you tonight about open doors. But before I get to that, um, we kind of have to lay a foundation that the door can sit on. And so I remember um, going down to Dothan, Alabama every year growing up as a little kid. And uh, my grandmother lived down there. And we'd go see Granny Dot for a week. And then we'd go down to the beach for a week. And I always looked forward to those trips. It was great. Um, We were just away. And uh, Dad was never called away to a funeral or a wedding or this or that. My dad was a pastor. And it was always great to have just time as a family. It was a really wonderful, wonderful few weeks for our family. But every once in a while, we would go, well, not every once in a while, every time we would go to church on Sunday. That's just what we did. Didn't matter if you were on vacation. Uh, You know, you'd bring back your bulletin so you could get your perfect attendance sticker, that kind of a thing. You know, had to let people know that the pastor and his family were at church. And so even if we were out of town. So we would do that. And we started going to this one church. um, And and I remember uh, it was the little United Methodist Church on the beach. uh, So it was pretty full. Uh, in the summertime when everybody was at the beach and then there was hardly anybody there in the wintertime. And we went there one time and, and he started the church service like this. Maybe you've heard the first part. He goes, God is good. And everybody said, all the time. And then he said, all the time. And all the people said, God is good. That was like back in the 70s. People were doing that. Uh, kind of before it got popular. And I'd heard that a number of times. But then he said something else that I'd never heard before. And he said, and he ain't mad at you i was like huh he ain't mad at you i thought wow isn't that interesting i guess some people think god's mad at him but he's not he's not because the thing is if you think that god's mad at you you'll never step through the door that he's opening for you you have to understand first of all that god is for you always for you he's crazy about you loves you right where you are More than you love your own children. He loves you. Loves you perfectly. Better than you have ever been loved in your life or could ever be loved. Or better than you can love anyone else. And the cross is that proof for us that we celebrate at Easter and the resurrection. And so we've placed this doorway for us to walk through to new life. But first we have to know that on the other side of the doors that God opens us is life itself. It's beauty and resurrection and Things like the sacraments that connect us to God and baptism and Holy Communion. And tonight we get to celebrate that. We're very excited about that. These new doors that the Lord puts in front of us. Because friends, He's not mad at you. He loves you. He's for you. Always for you. Not mad at you. Doesn't matter what you've done, what your past is. If He can transform a cross... If he can forgive the Roman soldiers at the cross, if he can forgive the criminals on either side hurling insults at him, he can forgive you. He loves you. He wants you to be with him. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take them out. Uh, we're going to be working through a book um, uh, by uh, John Ortberg, who I love. Um, I just think he's great. It makes sense to me, the things that he says. And so over the next six weeks, we're going to look at one of the 
really sort of the core questions of what it is uh, to be a person of faith. And that is, what does God want me to do? Okay, I believe in Jesus. Uh, I, I believe he's a great teacher. I believe he's the savior of the world. But what am I supposed to do with that? Now, I live 2,000 plus years later uh, in Edmond, which looks very different than Nazareth or Jerusalem. What do we do? How do I know what God wants me to do? And so we're going to help you learn um, what God does, how you can join God there, and, and how you can have the courage to step through those doors. And really, it starts first to know that God is for you. It's not against you. So when God opens a door, it's for your good, not for your harm. So if you're following along in your sermon notes, as a way of introduction, uh, John Ortberg writes this. He says, we are neither the authors nor the pawns of our life stories. And, And that's absolutely true. How many of you all chose your parents? Probably none of us. Certainly not our biological parents. We don't get to choose that. We're not the authors of our life. We like to maybe think that we are, or that we have this fantasy that somehow we're self-made men or women, but that's fantasy. We're not the authors of our life. God is. And we're not pawns either. We have will. We have say. We have kingdoms of our own. That thing, those things we have say over. No, we're not authors. We're not pawns. Rather, we're partners. We're partners with God. That's your first blank there. That's who we are. That's what we're meant to be. And there's lots to go into that partnership. Things like faith and action and trust and life and risk but we're partners with god trusting that god is always for us and then i want to make a a a small distinction but but an important one and that is that we're not talking about doors that have been left open we're not talking about you know the kids that go in and out of the backyard all day and that you know this is kind of halfway left open we're not talking about doors that have always been open and that will never close Rather, we're talking about doors that God has opened with an ED on it. God has opened for you. That these doors that we're talking about are are divine encounters. These opportunities provided you by God for you, but not just for you. You see, God is never just for one person or one people. And he proved that through Jesus, that he went from being uh, for the Jews at one time, for all people, for all times through Jesus. The the Last Supper was transformative in that meal from the Passover, for the Jewish Passover, to the Last Supper, which changed everything, where Jesus became the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, not just one nation. And so now we remind ourselves that God is for us, but not just for us, for all the world. And so we're not talking about an open door so much as an opened door by God for you to bless others. And that's an important piece that we have to get right as well. God is the one that opens the doors. We are the ones that are to walk through them in order to bless others. Now, we'll be blessed in the process, but it's also that we bless others by doing that. The other thing is, sometimes people walk through doors or, and God's leading them. And, and you know what happens? It gets hard. It gets difficult. It gets scary. I remember when the Lord called Chantel and I to have our first child. John Mark, he's in college now. And, man, we wanted a child. We'd been married five years before uh, she got pregnant, and we felt like we were ready. I was finishing up graduate school. We had all got it all planned out. I was uh, then assigned to a small church uh, about an hour from here, and southwest of here. And, and we had it all set up. We had a little house, uh, had my little church, and we were going to have a baby. It was perfect. Had it all set up. We, we had a really good doctor. Uh, she was even Methodist. I mean, just you couldn't plan it out any better. It was just perfect. And then we had him. Have you all had a first baby? 
What is it with first kids? I mean, that kid did not sleep for seven weeks. I mean, seven weeks. So with sundown, he would start, they, they call it colic. I call it crazy. I mean, it's just, you know, he'd start to cry and then a little more and then he'd pull his legs up. And I mean, we lived on mylocon drops and purple stuff. And I mean, oh my gosh. The only thing that would calm him down at all, I mean, he's screaming until one in the morning. The only thing that would calm him down at all is if I would put him chest to chest with me because I didn't have any food. And I guess he just kind of figured that out. And so most nights I'd fall asleep about three and wake up about five with him screaming for food. And, and it would start at five and it would last till about two in the morning, one, two in the morning. It was awful. Seven weeks. And we thought we're going to take him back. Give him, take him back to the hospital. I mean, it was awful. Now, and, and all the time, everybody, all the church people that would watch Chantel pregnant, and, and everybody knowing us, they were all about, oh, isn't it great? Isn't it a gift from God? Isn't it awesome? We're like, you want him? Because we were waxed. I mean, do you all remember those days, the first seven weeks? And then a miracle happened. Seven and a half weeks, it all just stopped. He was fine. He was right as rain. Great kid. We love him. He's awesome now. First seven weeks, not so much. You know, the next 17, 18 years, great. Um, but those first seven, man, we were not ready. And the thing is, you can walk through a door and a good door and a God-given door, a God-ordained door, and it can still stink. It can be very difficult. You think, man, we weren't supposed to have kids. But then you live through it. And that's why the community of faith is so important. You need someone else to say, he'll grow out of this. It's okay. It, you know, seven weeks come, seven weeks go. You won't even hardly remember it. <laughs> you remember it. But it's hard. But you get through it. You get through it. Uh, our next son slept all the time. I mean, he just came out sleeping, pretty much. And, and sleep and sleep and sleep. And now he's everywhere. Just completely different. Wonderful. God doors opened. But there's no guarantee. It's, there's no blueprint to it. There's no guarantee to it. You see, an open door is an opportunity provided by God to act with God. For God. That's in your notes there. Will you say that with me? An open door is an opportunity provided by God to act with God for God. And this is good. And this is what Abram does. And the nice thing is that Abram actually had already sort of gotten a jump start. Most people don't talk about Abram's dad. But Abram's dad is really the one that started the story back in Genesis 11. You see, from the beginning of God's interactions with humanity, God seems to give us information on a need-to-know basis. If, if God would have showed me even the tiniest bit of what it was going to be like to have John Mark the first seven weeks, we would not have had him. We just wouldn't have. We're like, no, you, no, we, I don't think we can do that. But that's not what happens. God gives you just enough, just enough information to get you to the next day. Ambiguity and uncertainty are woven into the story from the beginning. And the first 11 chapters of the Bible, big things, things like the creation of the world, the moon, the stars, heaven and earth, the fall of humanity, the judgment. But all of that leads to this little tiny moment with a guy named Abram, a nowhere guy. God is going to come now to one ordinary individual. And he's going to start all the great faiths of our world. All the monotheistic religions. Islam, Christianity, of course, and Judaism. All three come from this little moment in Genesis 12. It starts here. Could have been you, could have been me. It's just the way God works. And we never know ahead of time the full significance of the doors we face. 
What we're told in Genesis 11, 31 to 32, is that there was a man named Terah, and he lived in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans. So Terah took his son Abram, the same Abraham that we know of, and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, and his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. They, they didn't go on to Canaan. They just made it halfway, and they stopped. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and then he died. And Haran never made it to Canaan. So Abram's dad had a similar kind of call, like, hey, go on to Canaan. And he got the family up. They left Ur, and they got halfway there, and that was all they could do. We don't know why. The story doesn't tell us why. But that, that was it. It just kind of just stops right there. They made it halfway. And then God comes to Terence's son and, and talks to Abram. Now, I would stop for a moment just to say, when you start to go through a, a God door, there's two pieces of it. And the first part might be the hardest part. And that is you have to leave what's familiar to you. You have to say no to your old way of life because you can't be in Ur and Canaan at the same time any more than you can be in Oklahoma City and Houston at the same time. And so these folks got to Dallas, and they were like, whew, that's it. That's all I can do. And so they get, they get stuck there, basically. Now, the first readers of this story, though, re- read this very differently than we do. They would have understood when God came to Abram's family that Ur was perhaps the largest city in the world. Okay, it, this place was awesome. Cosmopolitan, lots of trade. Anybody who was somebody lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. In about 2000 BC, it was the place. It was the great place. Um, when you graduate from college, uh, one of the things that people will, will ask you if you're in your senior year or whatever, there's a couple of them. Well, uh, one of them is, is, have you ever been to New York? Have you ever been to New York? People, have you all been to New York? New York's kind of like the place, right? And so when you go to New York, people want to know. I lived in New York two summers. It was awesome. And so people would say, hey, have you ever been to New York? I was like, oh, yeah, I lived there because it's the place. And you, you can see movie stars. You can sit down in a booth and, you know, other people sit down right next to you. It happened to me. Uh, I almost bumped into Steve Martin walking on the sidewalk one day and um, had some other movie stars in the booth next to me. And, I mean, it's a heady deal. You're like, oh, yeah, I lived in New York. It's crazy. That was Ur. Okay, now imagine that Ur is a difficult place to leave because you've got all the people who are somebody. You've got all the business contacts. You have all the great food. All the things of life that you want were at Ur. And God says to Abram's dad, uh, leave it. I want you to go to the land that, that I'm going to show you. And that's kind of vague, isn't it? God does that. It's like, I don't want you here. I want you someplace else. Well, where exactly would you like me, Lord? Well, I'll show you. That's how he does it. It's annoying. But that's how he does it. He's like, I don't want you here. I want you someplace else. Where exactly would you like me, Lord? Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. Now, Canaan was everything that Ur was not. You know, I mean, it was uncultured, uncivilized, undeveloped, uncultivated, a rough, difficult place. So, um, any of you all been to Slap Out, Oklahoma? Yeah, some of you know that. You know, it's a little west of here, a little north of here. So, imagine you're leaving New York for Slap Out. Or you could insert name here. Goaty Bo, Minko, Friendship, Alec, Ninica, I mean, Pink, I mean... Those of you all who are not from Oklahoma are like, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> These are real places. Pink, Oklahoma. Because it's kind of pink there. And all God says is it's going to be the land that I show you. A, a difficult place. It's not the place. It's anywhere but the place. And God calls him to leave it. But, and we don't know why. 
Well, we have this little bit of a hint in Joshua 24, 2 to 3. And the scripture tells us this, uh, uh, kind of the backstory. Joshua says to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah, Abraham's dad, and Nahor, they lived beyond the Euphrates and they served other gods. Oh, there it is. Because the God that loves you, loves you enough not to want you messed over by somebody else lesser than. So then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and it continues on. You see, Abraham's family had a problem. They worshipped idols. And the problem with idols from a biblical perspective is not simply that they get God's name wrong, but they get God's character wrong. We still have those idols today. You see, idols from a biblical perspective offer power, but they don't demand what the Lord requires. Things like justice and mercy and walking humbly with God. Idolatry involves a system of beliefs and attitudes and habits that Abram would have to die to. Just like we have to. We have to get past this idea that God is some magical genie that just does things for us. That's not the God we serve. God's much bigger than that. And so we have... These decisions that we come to, are we going to be open-door people or closed-door people? And this sermon gets more and more difficult for me um, every time I preach it because the truth is the older you get, the harder it is to walk through the open door. And it's really not about your physical self. It's about your emotional and spiritual self. Because at three, y'all remember three? You'll do anything. At three, you are unafraid. Nothing bad has really happened to you at three. You have not loved and lost at three, right? You, you don't even really understand the rules of the game. When you play a game, you play and you have fun and it's over. You don't know whether you won or lost at three. You just play and it's great. But then you get older and you're like, oh, well, that didn't go well. That relationship ended. That was painful. I tried this and... I made a fool of myself. That girl that I liked, she doesn't like me now. That, that guy, he was mean to me. And, and the thing is, all these doors that continue to be open, we are less likely to walk through them as we age. It gets harder and harder. So are you a, a closed-door person? And, and, and closed doors look like this. We, we talk about it as prudence. You know, no, yeah, I think I'm good. Would you like to go on... This cruise of a lifetime around here, go there, and you think, I heard the carnival had some people with some tummy problems. I think I'm staying put. Right? Somebody says, oh, would you, would you like to go to Mexico on this mission trip and build casitas? What month are you going? July. Nope. Here it's hot in Mexico in July. It is. Oh, are you going to go, you know, dig water wells in Guatemala? Well, I hear that the, you know, get some montezuma's revenge and have some really bad stuff I, I know some people that came back really sick from those trips yep that happened we also save thousands of lives and we get better because we have medicine that can help us get better you, you see how these doors just start to close on us and before you know you know where you are in your lazy boy with the remote this is your life except it's not alive just makes your thumb hurt after a while. That's it. Your life gets littler and littler and littler till you do nothing for nobody at any time because it costs more than you want to give. 
And you know the risk. And you know what you call a rut? You know what a rut is? It's a grave with open ends. That's all it is. So the question is, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to do anything else with your life? Are you a closed-door person or an open-door person? We actually have a little chart there for you in your sermon notes. I hope that you'll be brave enough to place where you are on that line. In your own mind. Where, where are you? Are you over here on the closed-door side or are you on the open-door? You're like, God, bring it on. Whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do right now. And we'll, we'll work out the details later. And put, put that down. And then just for fun, to kind of see whether you're getting more open in your life or more closed, Where were you on that line when you were 25 or 10 years ago or before you were afraid, before something bad happened to you? You see, the thing is, God calls us all the time in lots of different ways, and it's good. In Genesis 12, 1 to 3, uh, the scripture says this. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. Doesn't even tell him where he's going. I'll make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make you famous. You'll be a blessing, and I'll bless those who bless you, those who curse you, all curse, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. At this time, he was 75. 75 years old. Now, you can argue that, um, you know, age was different back then. I mean, because his dad lived to 205. Okay, but still, 75, no matter how you count it, is not young. It's just not young. Uh, my folks are about that age. You know, it's, it's not the time that you want to get up and move uh, to Godibo from Manhattan. Healthcare is questionable. Those sorts of things, right? I mean, you, you think these things through. It's not the prudent deal. You see, God can open a door for anyone. That's your blank there. For anyone. Even for Abram, the son of the guy who only went halfway. Anyone. And he comes to these ABCs of faith. It's really very simple. The ABCs of faith are like this. A, abandon your old life. You've got to leave what you've been doing to go do something new. You can't do both. And that's hard. B is to believe God's promises are trustworthy. They are. God can be trusted. But you won't know that on this side of the door. You only get to know that on the other side of the door. And C, commit to a new journey. Whatever the Lord's calling you to do. Because, friends, open doors are not reserved for the specially talented or the extraordinarily strong. They're open to people like you and me. In 1997, Chantel and I uh, had this little newborn, uh, John Mark, and um, we were basically happy and, and doing what we felt called to do. And I got this tiny little blue postcard in the mail. And it simply asked this question. Um, would you like to be considered to be a part of a training for people who might start a new United Methodist Church sometime in the next three years. Check yes or no. Yes. I thought that sounded fun. Particularly since I had an infant crying at home all night. I needed to go do something else. Right? So I turned it in. Yes. That was an open door. That's what open doors look like. I didn't know it was really an open door at the time. I just thought it'd be fun to learn some things. I'd been out of seminary for about a year. I thought it'd be nice to to learn some things. We sit here today because I said yes to a little blue postcard in 1997. I found out in 1998 that I would be appointed. I found out in 1999 that I was coming to Edmond. We could have been in Tulsa or we could have been in Norman. They started three churches in those three years. Um, Tulsa, then us, then the one in Norman. And they're all churches today. Because people chose to begin to walk through those open doors. 
But here's the thing, friends. You have to make a choice. You don't just float through the doors. God doesn't say, oh, here's a hammock. He says, here's a door. And you've got to move through it. You have a choice to make. So again, in Genesis 12, in verses 4 to 6, it goes like this. So Abram left. He did just as God said. And Lot left with them. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And Abram took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot with him, and along with the possessions and the people had gotten in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and arrived safe and sound. Abram passed through the country as far as Shechem and the Oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites occupied the land. Now, in subsequent weeks, we'll look at what Canaan, uh, the Canaanites looked like. They were giants. That's, that's what we'll find out about the Canaanites. They were really big. We remember those stories of like David and Goliath. Goliath was the big guy. David was the little guy. Canaan was full of them. Huge giants in the land, people said. But here's the thing. Decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. We have to make decisions. Now, researchers say that we make up to 70 decisions a day. That's a lot of decisions in a lifetime. Not all of them are going to go great. But the thing is, if you can't make a decision, you can't make anything. You just get stuck. And you can learn from any decision. That's the good news about decisions. You can learn from any of them. Every morning is an open door. Every morning is an open door. You have the opportunity to say yes to life. And so when they said, would you like to start a new United Methodist Church in Edmond? We said, yes, we'd like that. And then we did it. And had they shown us what would the first three years would have been like, we would have said no. Absolutely no. Because in my life as a pastor's kid, every time we moved somewhere, we had these wonderful church people who came and helped us and helped us unload and all this stuff. When you move to a new town where you don't know a soul, you drive up and you unload it yourself because nobody knows you. There's no friends there. There's no support system. And you can't go to the other churches because they're not really all that thrilled you're there in the first place because they don't know what you're going to do. They don't know you. They don't know what you're going to be like. And so it can be difficult when you try to do new things. But every morning is an open door. Every door you take means leaving something and arriving somewhere. And, and here's the kick in the pants, friends. Most of the time when you leave something, the people you're leaving are not thrilled about it. I mean, the, the church that we left to come here, not happy about it. They're like, hey, you just got here. We were at our previous churches about two and a half years. That was it. And we, we'd started to build a building and, and we were going off to do something else. They didn't like that very much. So when you leave something, don't, don't expect everybody to go, yay you, I can see you're in God's will. That's so awesome. If you, if you don't believe me, talk to any missionary that goes overseas. Most of their families are not thrilled about it. They're like, are you kidding me? What are you doing? What are you doing? Every door you take means leaving something and arriving somewhere. Point three is this. And this is really good news, friends. What God opens, though, what God opens, no one can shut. Because God has opened it. What God has opened, no one can shut. Will you say that with me? What God opens, no one can shut. And we have this promise in Revelation 3. It says this. And the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes this. These are the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Look, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is great news because the God who opens the door also knows you. 
The God who opens the door also knows you. He knows what he's calling you to do. So you don't have to be afraid. If you're writing it down, you might write it like this. The God who opens the door also knows me. He knows me. He knows my address. He knows my weaknesses. He knows my faults. He knows my temptations. I can walk through the door because God knows me. So therefore, I no longer need to be afraid. And remember, friends, that it's God's will for your life is that you become a magnificent person in God's image. It's not that you have a great job. It's okay if you do. And it's not that you have a perfectly happy marriage, although I hope you will. The thing about God is that he wants you to become the person he's created you to be all along, which is somebody with the character of Jesus. Somebody who looks like his son, looks like his family, who cares about the things that God cares about. Kindness, mercy, and justice, and peace. And the great news is that Jesus says, I'll go with you. 